There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Every fight is different. Some fighters probably need that pressure of if you lose this fight, you've got nothing. You know, you're flipping burgers and mackers. Some fighters might need that. I'm the opposite. I feel more comfortable when I say, you know what, if the day comes where I can't fight anymore, I'm going to do something else crazy. But I look forward to that challenge as well. That helps me just relax and be like, you know, I can go out there now and just do what I do in training and not tighten up too much and not stress too much because life goes on after fighting. All righty. Let's get into it. But before I introduce this week's incredible guest, I want to let you know that the Warrior U podcast has its very own website. Check it out www.podcast.warrioru.com.au That's www.podcast.warrioru.com.au All the podcasts are there. There's all the show notes. There's my blog. There's the training programs, the store and the sponsors page with all of the discount codes. And stop emailing me, all right? New branded t-shirts are also on order. They'll be ready in time for Christmas. Uh, you can also pick up uh, my books on there and I'll sign them and send them out to you. So there you go. Alrighty, now my guest. This week I talked to Jake Matthews, the Australian UFC fighter. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and an all-around great guy. And I would say that because if I didn't, he'd you know, knock me out. We talked a few weeks after his victory over Rostam Ackman. Now, Rostam was regarded in Europe as a knockout artist. That was his thing. Most people thought Jake would have to take it to the ground and find a submission. Jake had other plans, though, when Rostam was announced as brilliant stand-up fighter. Jake thought, oh, yeah, I'll have a crack at that. He walked in the ring, not only stood and delivered with Rostam, but Jake delivered a technical boxing masterclass to put the rest of the division on notice. All right, they have to take him seriously. You stand and fight with Jake and he's going to make you pay. Jake has lived and breathed Brazilian jiu-jitsu and fighting since he was a little kid. You know, actually Jake's baby daughter, Alani, is delightfully talkative in the background and what a great contrast she brings to the subject of ultimate fighting and combat. While we're talking on all things combat and resilience and you know struggling while in the ring, She's in the background having a great old time. It's, it's actually pretty cool. During the conversation, Jake and I talk about all things fighting, training, performance, and mindset. We discuss fighting styles and how being a generalist is definitely an advantage in the octagon. We touch on work ethic and the good and the bad parts of Australian culture. We also tackle how mental toughness and composure is a hidden skill in mixed martial arts. Jake Matthews is mentally tough. He has no off switch and pushes himself to the edge every time he trains. Like many high performers across a wide range of disciplines, his internal intrinsic drivers are really hard for him to clearly pinpoint. And like every other high performer that I've talked to, he uses consistency as his not-so-secret weapon. There it is again, consistency. That word continues to come up week after week after week. You see... If you're a UFC fighter 
and only trained when you felt 100% or didn't have an injury, then you'd never train. So he trains consistently through everything. There's no doubt in my mind that Jake Matthews is always the hardest worker in any room. And when you listen to this, I think you'll you come to the same conclusion. Uh, watch him in UFC. His star is definitely on the rise. Just a reminder that the Echelon Front Muster is being held in Sydney on the 4th and 5th of December. And you can get around $1,000 off if you enter the discount code WARRIORU, all capitals, at checkout www.echelonfront.com forward slash muster dash 009 and a link will also be in the show notes before we get into the podcast a shout out to my sponsors this week firstly world of tanks as you know they're my latest sponsor wargaming.net takes historical accuracy very seriously they research the tanks and they replicate the conditions that the tanks fight in if you're after a game that rewards outwitting your opponents or managing the battle space then this game is for you And I didn't realise this, but the Australian World of Tanks community is heavily populated by veterans. But it does make sense when I think about it. What a great and supportive community. Get to play games, have a chat, be part of a tribe. You can register for World of Tanks by following the link in the description or visiting https dot forward slash forward slash tanks dot ly forward slash warrior four. That'll be in the show notes. All right. And then you enter Warrior UWOT, all capitals, into the redeem code section to receive three days of premium time, a tank, and much more. Again, details and links will be in the show notes. Well, I know it's a bit complicated, that one. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by my main sponsors, Aussie Strength and Ironside Coffee. Again, you can see all about them on the Warrior U podcast website. Both are veteran owned businesses. Ironside Coffee is also supporting the Echelon Front Muster in December. Check out the Ironside Coffee website for so much more than just coffee though. And Aussie Strength have some amazing deals on their website. Use the code WARRIORU on both sites at the checkout for at least 10% off. And Aussie Strength are also supporting the podcast that I'm doing live in Sydney on the 6th of December. I'm actually drinking an Ironside coffee right now while seated next to my Aussie Strength Valkyrie rig, um, all ready to train. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Jake Matthews and Alani, welcome to the Warrior U podcast. <laughs> Thanks, mate. That's awesome. I've been trying to get you on here for a while. We've sort of been bouncing back and forwards talking about it, been threatening everyone that I was going to get a UFC fighter on here sooner or later. Yeah. But I had to wait until you'd, you know absolutely dominated someone without using brazilian jiu-jitsu before i did it i think <laughs> yeah it was a it was a good event yeah that, obviously a little bit a little bit different to my usual fighting style but uh this sport you know you gotta look at the sport as a whole and uh, sorry your career as a whole and not each individual fight so that fight called for a little bit of strategy and you can hear my um my corner yelling out the whole time just tell me to relax and just you know mm. just keep what i'm doing what i'm doing and mm. tell us about the fight who was it with when was it what was the outcome and then we'll, we'll dissect it a little bit yeah so it was uh date of it actually but um it was about three weeks ago and against rostam rostam ackman who's a who's well known over in uh, europe for, for being a bit of a knockout artist he's um mm. you know he had six wins five knockouts mm. so um you know we had our game plan set but um i've always i don't know, I take it personally when people bring up my opponent's strengths and i was standing in the uh, in the tunnel ready to walk out and then i heard the I heard the um the preview say, Oh, he's a knockout artist, good striker, he's probably gonna take Jake's big stand up down a peg and I was just like, mate. Yeah. And then right on the spot there, my game plan just sort of changed and I said, Oh, I'm gonna stand up with this guy, show everyone, you know, yeah. That I, I can hang with these guys, yeah. Yeah, sixth of October it was. And it was um yeah, you know, I was actually hoping that you were 
going to take it to the ground at some stage and do another, you know, rear naked choke at some point. And, yeah, well, um, that was going to be the game plan, but you know, and he thought sort of, that, sort of, I guess. Yeah, I think I think it shocked him. So you know, it wasn't it wasn't the worst sort of idea I had, but you know, I felt very comfortable. I felt like I was I was ahead the whole time, and you know, why why. I'm not going to, you know, I come off a loss and he's a bit of a newcomer, so I'm not going to risk, you know, not only a fight and a big paycheck, but also my whole UFC career potentially mm. for, you know, a few people's entertainment. Mm. The aficionados and the people that are really into the sport, they all, you know, they all said it was, you know, it was a smart fight. They understand what was at risk and understand what, you know, obviously I'm a 12-fight veteran fighting a, a newcomer. Um, mm. they, under, they understood what I was doing. Mm. And then you have the guys who still probably think Chuck Liddell fight, and they're the ones who are saying, oh, you know, it's, Boring fight, but yeah, I think I think I just showed showed myself more than anyone else that I can uh, mm. stay I'll, composed and have a smart fight. I was on a flight last night from Sydney to Perth, and I watched a whole heap of. Um, I downloaded a whole heap of UFC and boxing fights. So I watched about five hours of fights, and um, <laughs> I was watching some stuff about some guys from the UFC channel dissecting different fighters, and they were they were dissecting Nate Diaz and showing how, and he isn't renowned for being a great boxer, but he's actually pretty good and how he changes from Southpaw back to, you know, orthodox and traps people like that and just keeps the pressure on them the whole time. You know, I wonder, do you look at other fighters like that and look at those styles and go, that's a, that's a good idea or, or think that's, that's a way I'd like to, you know, to do that and then to cut down those angles by, by throwing combinations that people don't expect. Yeah, I, I do to a degree. I, I used to do it when I was younger Mm. Probably uh, not only just looking at at the technique they're using, but I used to look at their style and I used to try and emulate it. Sometimes, mm. so, you know, one one week I'd go through a phase and I'd go in and and I'd be, I'd be you know trying to box like Conor McGregor and stay, same sort of stance as him and hands down. And you know, the next week I'm watching you know someone else who's a bit of a brawler and trying to emulate that. I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think mm. you've got you know pe- people ask me that all the time. Oh, should I, should I stand like McGregor? Should I stand like this? Should I stand like the Machida? I said you. I said stand how you naturally stand. I said, if you want to take techniques, I said, just, yeah, I said, don't try and force it. I've done it before, yeah. you know, and they're probably the worst sparring sessions I've had. So if there's things that you think might work well, you have to be able to fit them into your style and mm. not necessarily try and, you know, completely just emulate someone else's style, which mm. is um, something I've learned. So, you know, some things work, some things don't. That's, what's tra- that's what training's for. Mm. But I think, but yeah, I definitely look at the technique, you know, Mm. on its own and, you know, if, try and work out how, you know, like no dad's a completely different style to me, the way he stands, the way, mm. he, you know, the height the height of his stance, the way he throws his punches. So I'm not obviously not going to be able to do a lot of things that he does. Probably mm. doesn't fit my game, my style, but, you know, but I'll try it in, in training. If it works, good, I'll keep it. If it doesn't work, throw it in the bin and try something else. Yeah. Hey, let's come back to UFC. So you were born in, in Melbourne, I think 94, have I got that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so the year after I came back from Somalia, <laughs> yeah. which makes me makes me nearly twenty years older than you. I feel old now, thanks, mate. Yeah, so born and raised in Melbourne, and what was it like growing up, mate? Typical cliche Australian boy, just yeah. um, on the dirt bikes, on the lake, water skiing, playing football for about nine years. You know, pretty high level, got up to representative level. Had had a little short stint with the Northern Knights over here in Melbourne, so that was that was good. Yeah. You know, always always had mates. You know, a lot, a lot of mates in school, which was good, and uh, yeah, just out playing cricket in the street or kicking the footy pretty much every night after school, and then the street lights come on and go home for dinner. Yeah. So it was very, yeah, very, very cliche like that. And then, uh, like I said, playing footy, and then, you know, playing footy for nine years mm. started getting a bit stale after a while. So uh, mm. 
I decided to go and do a bit of martial arts for fitness and um, mm. and yeah, we're here and, that's, and then sort of led us to where we are today. Now, I, I've been reading a book lately by David Epstein. It's called Range and it's about how generalists become better all-rounders than specialists. In fact, a lot of famous sports people are really good at multiple sports. There's very few sports people who are actually good at just the one sport or trained in just the one sport. Tiger Woods, not with um, standing because it's a different type of sport. It's a very simplistic, instantaneous yeah. feedback sport. But, um, you know, UFC, you know, dirt bike riding, you know, Aussie rules, you know, you're from Melbourne, probably cricket as well. You know, all these little things that you did, do you think they all they have all helped you and have and built you into the athlete that you are today, or do you think that if you had just focused on BJJ and then MF, you know, sort of like UFC sort of stuff, you would have been you would have been better than what you are now? I'll start that with I completely agree with you because uh, you know I've got, I know these guys who train jiu-jitsu five six days a week, you know, sometimes twice a day, and just solely do jiu-jitsu. And then there's MMA guys who probably do jiu-jitsu two three times a week that mm. can just come in and clean them up. I think because a lot of the other aspects translate, you know, even with striking and footwork in, you know, taking your footwork for striking into into BJJ, being more evasive with the takedowns, being more agile on your feet definitely helps. Wrestling is massive. I think wrestling is one of the, the hardest sports. Yeah. And it's it's the it's the missing, not the missing link, I guess it's, that, it's the factor that links everything together in MMA. It's what makes MMA, MMA. Yeah. There's no point being a good jiu-jitsu guy if you can't take it to the floor. Yeah. There's no point being a good striker if you can't. Stop someone taking you down. So I definitely agree that you know the, the gen, you know people who are sort of you know jack of all, I guess, end up being better as long as you can you know take things from other sports and you know adapt them and sort of assume, adapt them to to the other ones. I mean, there's a lot of people that can't do that. You know, I know guys that fight MMA and when they're when they're boxing, they they look like they're pure boxing, and then when they're wrestling, they're pure wrestling. They're not sort of mashing it all together, which I think is um. Mm. No, that's why what mixed martial arts you got to mix everything, and, and, and so I definitely agree with you in, in that sense. Yeah, yeah, right. And did you when you're talking about wrestling and BJJ, and I mean on the ground BJJ. So talk me through the differences between the two, like just standard wrestling and BJJ. What's the difference? When you're talking to our competition, there's a, there's a massive difference. Right. I mean, obviously wrestlers don't go to their back. It's a bit annoying when you get guys come from uh, which which translates as well to MMA. Yeah, right. I don't care if you got the best guard in the world. If you're on your back in MMA and you get punched in the face, yeah, you know you're in trouble. And not only that, you, on the to the judges, you're losing. I don't, you know, in a jiu-jitsu match, you pull guard and you wrap your legs around them and hold them for five minutes. Mm. You win the match, which to me is a little bit, you know, that, the competition jiu-jitsu side. To me, um, mm. it's, it's a bit. Yes, yeah, I look at things whenever I'm sparring in MMA. I'm thinking we're not on soft mats here. We're on. We're out in the street on bitumen. And if I'm on my back, I'm I'm getting hurt. So that's I, I use that mindset. And since I started using that, I I can't remember the last time I've sort of you know willingly pulled guard or fallen to my back in sparring or or even in a fight. So it's definitely yeah definitely good. But also you know it's you got you got two types of jiu-jitsu: sports jiu-jitsu, which these guys are inverting and and mm. um I not a fan. Mm. And then you've got what I call real jiu-jitsu, which is you know the basic takedown, top control, submit. The wrestling and jiu-jitsu worlds apart. I, even though I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt and I'll be doing jiu-jitsu my whole life, mm. if if wrestling was easy, it'd be called jiu-jitsu pretty much. Yeah, wrestling is the hardest sport yeah. you can do. It's um, you know, jiu-jitsu you get thrown down, you can sort of like you can rest on your back, you can hold guard, be winning the fight, you can catch your breath, 
there's no rest in, yeah, there's, in wrestling. There's no there's no way to catch your breath in wrestling, is there? Like you, nah, you, you get your face down, is usually you stand up. Yeah, yeah, and your face is usually buried in someone else's bloody chest or armpit or groin or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so I think I think I think not only like all the techniques techniques from wrestling translate really well into jiu-jitsu, mm. vice versa. Not really. I mean, there's some sweeps that are good. You know, they sort of can translate, but there's not much that goes from jiu-jitsu into wrestling. Yeah, but vice versa, there's a lot. And also just the mindset. Jiu-Jitsu is obviously you know, that sort of lifestyle where you just relax, you know, you chill, you go surfing. Wrestling wrestling comes from the Midwest, and yeah. I've spent a lot of time in the Midwest in America, and there's nothing chill about it. Mm. You, you're you up at, you know, 5 in the morning, we're at the gym, there's kids that are 12, between 12 and 17 getting dropped off at the gym at 5.30 in the morning, yeah. doing sprints, lifting weights, in the pool swimming. From there, they go to school. They have an hour of study hall, which they have to do. And then, or they don't get to wrestle. They're at school till three thirty. At three thirty till six is wrestling. That's every night. Just a different breed of kids. Yeah. I came back to Australia and I just I was disgusted at how yeah. you pretty much. I know different cultures, but these kids are just different breed. Just the mentality is the biggest thing, I think. And especially, you know, wrestling big in those in the third world sort of countries in the Middle East, and they're they're just tough there. You know? Oh yeah. When I was in uh, Dubai and and especially in Abu Dhabi, you know the army there they're all doing BJJ as their core as their core unarmed combat, and the the B, all of the BJJ instructors are from Brazil. <laughs> yeah, and they probably grew up rough in the favelas. And oh they yeah, know, they they, they know what yeah. they know what rough really is. You know these kids, you know mm. kids in Australia, they, their Wi-Fi drops out in their Xbox, and they and they're, they're, the world's pretty much ending. You know these these kids. They know what losing really is. So I think, you know, I was going to get to that later. Push to limit. Yeah, I was going to get to that later, but let's unpack it now. Like, do you think that Australians are lazy, like Australian um, kids, compared to compared to what you're seeing in places like that? Yeah, I think I think it's just a, mm. it's just a first world thing. Obviously, there's a lot of you know a lot a lot, of, especially out in rural rural towns, there's a lot of tough people. And, yeah, t- um, I mean, tough yeah. is different than I mean. There's plenty of lazy, tough people. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's sort of lazy. I, think, I guess you know we've got that real beachy sort of culture here. Yeah. You know, Whereas you, I assume, I assume your work ethic is like it has to be like nothing else because you're in the real deal. These UFC fighters aren't just a you know just just a Brazilian black belt. They've got all these other aspects to them as well. I mean, I, I mean, you've been roughed up. In jujitsu, by people who aren't black belts, right? But they've got other skills. Oh yeah, yeah. Which must be really strange for a because a, a black belt would assume that they can mix it with a black belt on that level in BJJ, you know. But then when so, when it's UFC, that's a completely different ball game now. Yeah, that's, and that's what I'm saying. You know, I've got, I know, I know, I know blue belts guys who fight MMA that are blue belts, and they can go in and just absolutely, you know, not necessarily tap black belts, but just be all over them. Yeah, because they're doing other things prior to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, I used to be the type of kid who would throw his mouth out. You know, if that if someone more, someone that I knew was better than me, higher level, it didn't affect me as much. But if that ever happened to me, I used to throw my mouth guard, you know, be in tears, you know, just have absolute tantrum. Now, obviously, a bit older now. Now, I I will I'll sit down and ask them. I don't care if they're a blue belt. I'll say, what was that? Can you show me? Mm-hmm. And they're looking at me like freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. um, you know, and they and they're probably you know, and, and some of them say to me like, "Oh, you let me get that," and I said, "Dude, I did not let you get anything. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't give anyone anything." You know, so they get me, they get me, and I'll sit there and ask them and yeah. learn from it. There's no point putting on a facade, acting like, "Oh, you know, I let you get that." You know, it's it, you're, just, you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, has your younger brother handed you your, your ass at all? <laughs> 
No, no, no. He's, he's um. He'd be handy though, wouldn't he? Surely. He, he's six foot three hundred and ten kegs. <laughs> and I always said to him, I said, "You never." I said, "I'll be in a wheelchair." Yeah. And I'll still, I'll still, I'll still, have, I'll still have it over you. <laughs> I said, "It's just one of those things, you know. You'll never be able to beat your dad. You'll never yeah. be able to beat your dad, and he'll never be able to beat his bigger brother." So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was it like the first fight you had? Like, what was the feeling like? The build up to it, the unknown. Was it was it just one of the most exciting things, or how did, how or were you calm and ready for it? First amateur fight. Yeah. Because you were eighteen. I, right? I was sixteen. Sixteen. Jeez. Yeah, I've been doing this since I was sixteen, and that's about all of it. That's, I've never. I guess what you call it, a normal job, but never had a normal job. Oh, sorry, you were eighteen um, when you went professional. Eighteen when I went pro, yeah, and right. that was only. I would have gone pro earlier. Well, I kind of did, and then I got in trouble because I was only 17 and I sort of had a pro fight and mm. sort of sneakily sort of did it. But, uh, yeah, but anyway. But, um, yeah, so the first fight, I didn't really have time to get prepared for that. It was – the fight was on a Friday night. I'm pretty sure it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and the coach said, oh, do you want to do you want to jump and have an amateur fight? Mm. And uh, at that time, I've probably been training for about three four months. Still wanted to play for the Hawthorne Football Club when I was old. I still wanted to be an AFL player. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, I was the type of kid – I never never shy away from a fight, and I pretty much, you know, if he's asking me, that's it's, it's I can't say no. Mm. Um, but I was excited at the same time to, to jump in there. Mm. I, I was pretty much between training and being at school every other hour of the day. I was just filled up watching YouTube and, and UFC mm. highlights. So um, mm. yeah, so we, we took the fight. I think it was against a twenty four year old. Mm. Pretty sure we went there, and this guy we heard someone we we thought a gunshots were going off. So we looked out, and then there was my opponent kicking the pads. Mm. And he's smashing these pads, and my dad looked at me, and he's like, "Oh no, nah, I don't know if you should, should fight or not." And I was like, "No, nah, no, nah, you know, I'll fight." And I was sort of myself thinking, "This guy's really good." And um, <laughs> yeah, right. it was a good lesson. Doesn't matter how good you are on the pads, you can't bring it into the ring. Mm. It doesn't mean anything. And he didn't bring it into the ring, and ended up, yeah. So we uh, first round was good. There was a bit of stand up, bit of you know, bit of wrestling, bit of ground fighting, and then um, second round started, walked out. <laughs> And I think it was about five seconds of the second round, I just flicked up a head kick. Mm. Never trained before. Mm. I got a worse flexibility. For some reason, I threw up a left head kick and knocked him out. Wow. And, um, yeah, and I think I think the way the fight went, you know, having you know, going through all the aspects of the stand-up wrestling, the jiu-jitsu, and then finishing with a knockout, mm. that just had me hooked. I don't, I don't know. If I had just won a decision and sort of grounded out, I don't know if I had a, would have had the same sort of reaction and want to go and fight. But, um, but we're in the car driving back. It, uh, me and Dad eat, eating a Zinger burger, and I said, oh, I think I want to do this. But I said, All right, it's going to be hard, but mm. if you want to do it, you got to, you know, I'll help you, but we've got to, you got to put in 100%. Mm. And it was pretty much training every day since then. Has it been getting easier getting in the in the ring each time? I've never suffered nerves. Yeah, right. For a fight. I get anxious. Yeah. I just want to get in there. I hate, I mean, when you're training, the, the training camp's fine because you're full of, you know, sessions every day. You get to get rid of that energy. Mm. Fight week, absolutely hate it. It's just a lot of sitting around a hotel. Mm. There's no escape. There's always interviews about fighting. You're surrounded by fighters. You know, you're fighting on the weekend. And, um, you know, my escapes are all things that I can't do during fight week. I can't go shoot guns. I can't go ride bikes. I can't go rock climbing. You know, pretty much anything that, all the things that can hurt you is what I like to do. So yeah. I'm pretty much just sitting in my hotel room doing interviews and, um, and the weight just absolutely kills me and I start getting a bit anxious and just want to get in there. Mm. And then fight day, the same thing, you know, you get to the venue and you got to wait around for three hours until you fight. But in terms of nerves, no, nah, never. I've always just, you know, I've got the mindset when you're in there, the gate's locked, you're not going anywhere. So I, I try and picture myself like, you know, the Gladiator movie, they've, you know, they've, um, 
sort of been captured and they're forced to fight in the arena and yeah. you know, they just they have to fight to get out. You, you can't just can't just tap the mat and walk out. So I have that mindset and that's always helped me. It sounds super similar to going on an operation with the military, you know, so building up all the intelligence about your enemy, standing on the flight line, you know, nervous, not nervous so much, but excited and the anticipation sort of killing you. Then the minute the first round goes off, there's this sense of relief and then it's like the combat is normal. It's a normalcy that you're used to. Yeah. It's a really strange thing that I, I wonder if fighters get the same sort of thing. I mean, the difference for me was I was surrounded by people a lot better than me who had my back, so I wasn't scared. But for yeah. you, it's yeah. like you need to rely on, you know, and obviously I had a certain amount of skill or I wouldn't be alive, but you have only your skill. Yeah, pretty much. Or, so, the, um, or the enemy doing himself a disservice at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. I've never thought about it that way, but it is, I guess it is sort of similar with the build-up and all that but yeah and same deal you know that first before until you get punched in the face the first time mm. it seems surreal you don't you don't really the, the ref says you're ready you're ready you know fight you don't, know, you don't know what's going on until that first kick lands or that first sort of jab gets you in the face and then you're like alright now I'm in a fight Job's on. and it just it feels it's one of the few times where I just feel at home Yeah, I feel at home in there and I just feel you know I feel yeah comfortable just in there fighting someone. Mm. Um, and in terms of the team environment, you know, I'm a big team guy. I love having one thing I miss about footy is that team environment. Obviously, mm. you know, obviously I consider you know I've got training partners, but when it comes to the competition, you're in there on your own. So um, mm. I've always pictured myself in a pub having a big group punch on with my mates. And <laughs> yeah, I look, I'm in the cage fighting this guy, and I was sort of you know picture myself looking to my left, and my dad's there beating someone up. Look to my right, one of my other mates is there, you know, hitting someone with a pool cue. <laughs> it sort of puts me in that team mindset. It's, it's pretty messed up, but you got to you got to have you got to have something a little bit wrong upstairs to do what we do. Yeah, and I'm, I've definitely got a few screws loose. But um, but we do. But yeah, that, and and we need to, and we might have to edit that out, mate, because I'm I'm hoping that one day you do special forces direct recruiting. We don't want them to think that you're a nutcase. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'm very composed. I'm very composed. But truthfully, you got you got to put yourself in a mindset somehow, and that's sort of one you, of the ways that I do it. Are you a naturally aggressive person do you think or is combat mindset something you're able to turn on and off not aggressive at all actually i actually try to avoid you know any you know any conflict wherever i can i mean you know obviously i get recognized when i'm out mm. i've had you know people say things and Jeez. i've never right. never had an altercation out in the street ever mm. yeah on the silly. footy field when i was younger pretty much you know at school a few pretty much the day i started training i haven't had an altercation Mm. Outside of the outside of the gym or the octagon since, so yeah. that's, that's a long, long time. That's um, you know, ten years. Mm. Never had any issue. You know, people obviously tried and running a gym. You know, conflict resolution and things like that. It can test your temper sometimes, and I've yeah. always been able to stay composed. And even in the octagon, you know, I've had guys gouge my eyes, headbutt me, cut mm. my eye open with headbutts, and I stay composed. And afterwards, mm. I shake the hand, give them a hug. Mm. So I, I like to, I sort of yeah, I really pride myself on on that. And Australians love that humility, don't we? You know, I, I still remember seeing fighters go up to someone afterwards and go, hey, man, that was just, you, you were the best fighter. I learned so much in that fight. And Australians are like, oh, that's awesome. You know, we just have that cultural thing where we really do like to see winners and losers compliment the opponent at the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's like that. I'm, I'm one of those Aussies, you know. I grew up, or, you know, most, a lot of my dad's friends are, you know, talking about how they met. And they met by, you know, they, they'll, they'll having a punch up one day and then they're having a beer afterwards. And that, that sort of, that culture's sort of going. Now it's, you know, you have a fight with someone, <laughs> you got to sort of, you got to watch you, but you got to watch you back for the next two years because they're probably going to come after you with a bunch of their mates. Yeah. But I, I grew up with that sort of Australia where, you know, 
you have a scrap, whether it's in the octagon or you know afterwards. When it's said and done, it's done, and yeah. that's it. And yeah, and I, I've I've had fights with guys, and I've you know like Johnny Case, he's flown out, stayed at my house, helped me train for a fight. You know, Kevin Lee, we've fought. He's probably one of the nicest guys I've met. Whenever I'm over there, he's always super nice to me. So um, that, that culture's still alive and well in martial arts for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you, you know, like resilience is one of those things I, I quite often say on this podcast that resilience is partly genetic. It's partly what you bring to the table right now. So it's based on your diet and how fit you are at the moment and, you know, how much fluid you've had. That's all about resiliency is all about right now. But mental toughness is something that can be developed through frames of reference. Would you call yourself a, a resilient person so you're able to bounce back from things naturally and then how do you build mental toughness specifically for yourself? Well, I've always, again, sort of pride myself on being pretty resilient. I mean, I've had, um, you know, I've had, I've had big losses in the UFC. I've had, you know, double hip surgery a few years ago. So that was like six months out for rehab and recovery and mm. bounced back for that, came back, won three fights in a row. You know, a lot of a lot of people probably, that would probably be it from, I'd mm. say. You know, other things, you know, personal things in your life as well that you, you sort of go through and, and you get around it. But the biggest thing, I mean, it's not something I ever had to consciously think about. And, you know, I'm in a training session and things get hard and I have to be like, oh, you know, I'm tough and think back and, and ponder on these things. And, and you know, it's just sort of something that you sort of, I don't know, subconsciously, especially since having the little one. Changes I just, things. I just push and push and push. And it doesn't matter how tired, it doesn't matter how hot the weather is, no matter how hard the session is, if I'm having a good session or a bad session. I'm, I just keep pushing, and like I said, I don't, I don't sit there and say oh, I've got a daughter now. I have to. Yeah, it just happens, and no doubt, I, I believe it's from having a child. But, um, mm. but yeah, I think you know, I've always had it. Mm. I, I can't, I can't pick one sort of point in my life where, um, where so it's sort of uh, a natural you know, motivation been a turning point. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, and um, I guess that sort of paternal thing kicks in as well, and I just feel like you know, since having a daughter, I'm sort of more paternal even towards my teammates, and I feel like I'm helping them out more during training and a lot of my fights coming up and I actually want to be be at their fights and I'm studying their fights and helping them out. I've sort of been a bit selfish up until this point. And again, that's another thing I've sort of gone through the recruitment process now. And I think it was about two weeks after my daughter was born, I just, uh, I don't know, that paternal sort of instinct kicked in and I was mm. that protective sort of thing. And not just for her, but just you know, for the rest of my family, my country as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it's funny. It's funny how things it's just a switch just clicks. I can't even explain it. Yeah, and you you obviously have that internal drive and and a work ethic. Do you think that consistency is one of those secrets for yourself? Do you, are you a consistent trainer, or or do you or does it go in spurts depending on your motivations? No, I'm consistent, and it has to be definitely has, the consistency. Definitely, you get used to that. I've been doing that since I was seven. You know, I've playing representative footy and local footy. So training, you know, four times a week and playing a couple of games on the weekend. So that's normal for me. Mm. But definitely since becoming pro and you get used to the workload and then you add to the workload and also also the discipline as well, Mm. which helps, you know, with you can, you know, I've had mornings where my girlfriend's had to help sit me up in bed because I can barely get up and, you know, still got to go and still got to get three sessions out. Mm. And if, if people, you know, didn't train every time they had an injury in this sport, you'd never train. Yeah. And that definitely adds to, you know, your resilience. At the start, you know, when you first begin, it's it's a chore and it's hard and it's, you know, it's part of your job. And then eventually you don't even think about it. You wake up sore and it's, it's normal. And mm. you have to go do smash two, three sessions out that are, you know, all my sessions are vigorous and mm. uh, and that's just a normal thing. Mm. 
yeah, so it's definitely definitely something that you, you can you can train. Yeah, and if you're not training for a specific fight, so there's a person in mind, it's just training for the sake of training. Is that training as intense? Are you able to get that same intensity or do you have to have a focus and a goal on someone to be going into combat with? No, it's it's always, even now, I mean, I fought on the Sunday mm. and that Friday we had um, we had Ben Sassoli who's uh, just been signed to the UFC. He, he had a fight in Boston. Mm. So I fought on Sunday. Next Friday I was in there helping him spar oh. and just, just he's a heavyweight mm. and I just ran in there and put it on him. Mm. And since so so not even not even a full week after my fight, and then since then it's been at, at least one session a day, and it's it's all vigorous. I, I I'm not a person who does things by halves. I don't have you, know, you get these fighters that they sort of go in and you know I will just do a technical session. I will just go and yeah you know do do some light stretching. That's I've never I've never been yeah you know light stretch. That's not a not a session. Yeah. <laughs> He's got to sit there and say, oh, "I did five sessions today." It's like you know, standing in the water at the beach is in a session. Yeah, doing doing light band stretches is in a session. You know, for me, a session, I'll say I do two sessions, and that'll be hard sparring, hard wrestling. On top of that, I'll go for maybe I'll go for a run, and I'll do an hour long stretching. You know, but I, I to me, they're not sessions. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. My training session is going in, doing it, going hard. This sport is no—I I believe there's no point doing things in halves. Yeah. When you train, so and also, you know, I have this—I have this weird mindset where I don't—I don't think I'm anything special by any means. Yeah. I think there's probably you know thousand other people that could be doing what I do, and um, yeah, I just tell myself, you know, I'm just an average guy. So I have to swipe that. <laughs> I tell myself I'm just an average guy, and. Yeah, you know, if I don't go in and give 150, percent these these guys are going to beat me up and they're going to hurt me. Yeah. So that that sort of mindset, you know, some guys go in and tell themselves they're the best in the world. I, I'm I'm the opposite, and that yeah. makes me realise that I have to push harder than all these guys. Yeah. So you started off as a welterweight. I did. Yes. Do you, do you jump around very much, or because I've noticed your what are you now 70 70 something kilograms and you're tall, so. Yeah. So I so I was um I fought at welterweight. I wasn't really welterweight. I um. I always liked GSP was always my favourite fighter. Yeah, yeah. And I always wanted to be a welterweight, so we weigh in at seventy-seven. Yeah, I used to go and weigh in. So this is when I was, you know, seventy eight, and I used to go weigh in, and I'd weigh in full, fully clothed. I'd have, I'd drink a bottle of water before I weighed in. I'd have phones in my pockets, and I'd still probably weigh in seventy-five kilos. Yeah, I just fought welterweight because I wanted to be like GSP, pretty much. Right, and um, but you were, and then when I, you were yeah, probably and, you know, super I went lightweight. Seven and oh. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah, you know, I could have, I could have fought lightweight very easily, mm. and then I went to Albuquerque and realised that these welterweights are three times my size. Yeah, yeah. But they, they asked me what what weight of class I fought at, and I told them, and they just laughed at me. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, they are so then, big, aren't I, they? Like, see, it's big, surprising. I'm still not not a big big welterweight. I'm probably no. medium size, and I walk around about ninety two kilos. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. So you, you walk around at what? 92 kilos. Holy hell. And then you cut down. Yeah. Well, I used to, I used to walk around about 80, 
So what are the what are the go to seventy? Because when you're in the nineties, you're up around the light heavyweight, aren't you? Or, or yeah, ninety four is uh, is light heavyweight. Yeah. So I'm getting close to that. Yeah, which is I mean, um, you're talking some powerful people at that size. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I would no. fight those guys. No. I'd give it a crack, but probably yeah, of course you do would. Too well. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah um, you know, even like you know, like even middleweight. Yeah, you know, I walk around heavier than a middleweight, mm. but the middleweights are monsters. That's probably the biggest size difference between weight mm. and middleweight. Mm. Like Dan Kelly, he walks around 110 kilos, mm. and and He's, so the lightweights are like super quick, and then the middleweights they're hitting like sledgehammers, and then you're sort of straddling in the center of that. Our guys got power and speed, yeah. yeah. So I think I've always thought the welterweight division was, you know, each division has their sort of time in the limelight, but welterweight is always just consistently good. I think it's one of the hardest divisions to try and, you know, yeah. try and compete in, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to. I wanted the the hardest challenge. I'd rather I'd rather, you know, do the best I can and maybe not make it to the top, mm. you know, in the hardest division, rather than try and, you know, oh, it's easier lightweight. I'll go down there. And someone like um, Nate Diaz, who's probably at the top of his game at the moment, he's a welterweight at the moment, isn't he? I think he's still a welterweight, or he's yeah, he, he can go, he can go between welter and lightweight. Like. Yeah, yeah, geez, that'd be an awesome fight. I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, maybe I think one day. We'll, he's um, got a big fight to get through coming up, anyway, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got the they're fighting for the BMS title. Yeah, so I don't know how they determine who can fight for that because technically we all are in our own right. We're all pretty bad. Yeah, considering what we do for a living, but um, yeah, right. Yeah, I guess you have to do. You know, you have to be crazy outside the octagon to sort of qualify for that. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. What's the hardest session you think that you do? That the one that you look at and go, "Oh, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it." Like, what's something um, that you do and you're like, "No, nah, God, no." Probably, uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't really, I don't have that sort of reaction to it. I love every session I go to. Yeah, probably the wrestling. Mm. Even more so, you know, Fridays we do 10, 10 rounds of sparring. Mm. I thought you were going to say sprints or something like that, you know? Nah, I, don't, I, um, I, I love running. Running, like I said, to me, when I, mm. people ask me how many sessions I do, I don't, I don't mm. count running or sprints as that. That's like a down, that's like downtime for me. Mm. You know, maybe, maybe if I was an AFL player and I had to run 40Ks a week, I'd have a different mindset. But to mm. me, running, running's that sort of, you know, that fun thing that I get to do every now and then. Mm. You know, that's, that's not getting punched in the face or getting choked out. So, yeah, so I'd say wrestling. Yeah. Especially, so, you know, because it's sort of on a Thursday night, one of the wrestling sessions, and by that stop time, you just be sore and tired and, yeah. you know, it's in a factory, and this time of year it's just boiling hot. Mm. They're all Iranian refugees, so they're all tough, mm. ex, you know, Iranian champions. Mm. And um, it's one of the sessions you decide, you, you, yeah, mm. either you switch on or you're going to get smashed. Do you see... Or do you do specific boxing sessions that are, that are just boxing focused? I used to mm. more. I sort of now I focus on the K one, which is a kickboxing with knees. Yeah, but I used to do a lot of boxing. I feel like my um, you know, my boxing's up there, mm. and now it's time yeah. to start mixing the mixing the kicks in. You know, so I, I, my kicks sort of not, not lack, but I don't really throw them as much. I think it's because I just uh, I haven't sort of um, yeah. made it a natural thing to throw. So that's what we're working on at the moment. And I think that. There's a lot of excitement around boxing at the moment, you know, with with sort of Anthony Joshua and and all and all the all those big heavyweight fights that have come around, and now a lot of the lightweights as well are putting a lot of like uh, Romero Duno, I think it is, and and some of those guys. And I just wonder if someone like yourself would think UFC is awesome, but I could also make it in this and really surprise a lot of people. 
Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't know it by watching my MMA fights, but I can actually box. I've actually boxed since I was twelve. Mm. And um, I don't know some of the some, some of the. I mean, I obviously went back and watched a heap of footage last night, so I'd have questions for you. And it seems like there's an overhand right that you like look like you're about to throw every now and again, you know, which yeah. which misses yeah, which is missed a few times. But if it if it clipped, bloody hell. Yeah, I landed that a few times against uh, mm-hmm. against um, Jingliang back in Perth. But um, yeah, I, it's just striking with the small gloves. Mm. I know it's, it's probably hard to, to picture unless you've done it, but I know guys that are some of the best strikers in kickboxing, boxing, mm. as soon as they put the small gloves on, they look like they've never hit a pad in their life. Why? How does that work? It's, it's weird. I know. It's weird. It's yeah. completely different. So I'm one of them. If I put the boxing gloves on, I, the guys I box with, uh, I box with a three-time world champ. I box with Australian yeah. champs, state champs, mm. heavyweight boxers. And, and what are they using? And their bands? coaches are saying to me, you, "You like you need to box. You should be boxing." Yeah. And I would, I would be. I was about to, I was actually about to start boxing, and then I got caught up for my first UFC fight, so I couldn't do it. Yeah. But you wouldn't think it putting the small gloves on, but I can actually box quite well. Yeah. With the big, um, with the bigger, completely different. Yeah, it's just completely different. With the smaller gloves, you know. Yeah, the angles so, as well. I assume are different too. Angles. I mean, you know, you can cover, you can get your guard up as much as you want mm. with the little gloves on, but the the punches are still going to get through. Yeah. Whereas with the bigger ones, they're hitting the, they're quite often hitting the hitting the gloves and, or they're yeah, sneaking right. ar- sneaking around the back and hitting it. Yeah. Yeah, which is one of that's, that's where that overhand that I yeah. throw comes in. It sort of sneaks around the back of the area. Yeah, it's massive. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I think is where you see that weight difference too, because it doesn't. Even though you're not carrying that weight, there's more muscle across the back, so that that overhand right is coming at velocity, you know, as opposed to a, a, a slimmer, smaller fighter who's the same yeah. weight. Yeah, it's not coming the same. It's not the same sort of. Yeah, well, and, that, and again, that's that's a, that's a type of thing that goes back to uh, we we're talking about earlier with like you know taking techniques from other fighters, you know, I'm, I don't have the body shape to, we call it like sort of army, army boxing is mm. in like terms of like, in terms of like your limbs, your arms, you know? Yeah. The ends are very, it's all in his arms. There's no body movement. Yeah. That works from his tall and lanky. I can't get away with that because my arms aren't as long as his. Yeah. Um, so it's more again, like something, the... something I've tried inspiring. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just getting walked with overhands because so I don't have that range. It's more um, like the yeah. Mike Tyson from the hips sort of, Throwing, yeah, and that's, um, that, that, that's someone I try and emulate a lot. Jeez. I try and put a lot of head movement and weaves. I think, you know, I've shown that in, in yeah. the last few of my fights, which is not a big thing in MMA with, with the head movement and the weaves, but obviously with the kicks and the knees, you've got to be careful dropping your head. Yeah. I think, I think I've made it work for me. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's, so again, that's someone I try and emulate for sure. Yeah. And so you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, I wanted to come back to it because I've got written down my notes here, Kevin Lee. And so that TKO, like – how does a fighter bounce back from something like that? That one, uh, yeah, that was probably one of the toughest losses I think I took. Yeah, you know, it was a that was sort of that was one of the fights where it was like, oh, who's going to be the next the next guy coming up? Mm. Pretty much, and obviously, obviously, he won, and then he, he did did really well after that, and even mm. fought for world title. Mm. Well, I learned a lot in that fight, though. So before my fight with Kevin, he was pretty much knocking everyone out and getting TKO wins, mm. and then my fight. And then he went on a stingent of just taking people down, taking their back, and tapping them out or mm. TKOing them. My fault was the first fight he started doing that. So I came out thinking he's going to mm. stand up with me and strike, and then he just started shooting my legs. And yeah. I, I ended up getting back up, and I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's a nervous shoot. And then he shot again, and then I sprawled, and then, and then I'm thinking, what's going on? And then he shot again. And then I, I thought I went, for, I went for a judo throw, and I thought 
I threw him on his back, but he landed on his knees. So I paused and stopped, and you know, I'm getting my back. Mm. And um, and he's a strong guy. When he's on your back, done. He just he just shut my hips down, and yeah, I wasn't I wasn't hurt or anything, but I just I felt like yeah, just sort of stuck there, couldn't move. Mm. You know, so it was definitely a good one. I'd like to get back, and mm. and you know, like I said, me, me and Kevin, you know, we, whenever we see each other overseas, we're you know, you think we're best mates. Mm. You know, no doubt he'd, he'd be keen on you know if we ever fought again, mm. we'd be just the same after after the fight. Yeah, that's cool. And it's interesting because you know, I, I think sometimes the fans take it worse than the fighter. The TKO oh. or the or the knockout. Like if it's a, if it's a if it's a straight out knockout, then the fans take it really you know, badly. This guy's never going to be like when people saw what happened to McGregor. You know, to be tagged like that so many times against Nate Diaz, and a lot of the fans on social media were all about this is him done forever. You know. Yeah, exactly. Not even not only the the losses, but the hype for fights as well. Mm. Mm. And the lead up for fights, which is something I was a little bit worried about with the uh, Whitaker and Israel Adesanya fight, right? Because it's always been the Anzac takeover, and you know, New Zealand Australia was sort of one in the same when it comes to martial arts. And I was, I could definitely see the fans getting to a point where it was going to be now it's Australia versus New Zealand, right? You know, which I hope, well, I always was hoping wasn't going to happen, and I don't think it did. I mm. think it's still the Anzac takeover, and mm. the fans were actually pretty good. Mm. But um, you know, the fight should be, the hype should be left up to the fighters, and they're not really the fans. But um, yeah, you know, I, with fighters, you know, obviously we take losses hard, mm. and that first initial, you know, day, two days, even the week, you just you feel like you know, the world's over, and you know, you learn nothing from the fight, and then you hindsight's a good thing when it comes to a loss because you actually look back on the fight, and you can, you know, so as fighters, we probably don't take losses too hard. Mm. Initially, it sucks. It's business. Then yeah, then after a while you're like, yeah, okay. I mean, especially now, I think perspective is a big thing. Mm. I've got a daughter now, you know. I've got my partner. We're doing all these things, you know, getting our life all mm. organised, buying houses and acreage and stuff. So, mm. in the big scheme of things, fighting is 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 very small. And so, and, um, and it teaches you to be humble in defeat and gracious in victory. I'd assume having a few oh, absolutely. losses like I'm, that. Even in defeat, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to jump in there and, and do what I do. Mm. And um, obviously, you know, some fighters, yeah, every fighter is different. Some fighters probably need that pressure of if you lose this fight, you've got nothing, you know, mm. you're going to be flipping burgers and mackers. Mm. Some fighters might need that. I'm the opposite. I feel more comfortable when I say, you know what, if the day comes where I can't fight anymore, I'm going to do something else crazy. But I look forward to that challenge as well. Yeah. So, and that, that helps me just relax and be like, you know, what, I can go out there now and just do what I do in training and not tighten up too much and not stress too much. Because life goes on after fighting. Yeah, oh, you're one of the you're one of a handful of fighters that that I follow on social media for inspiration as much as anything else. To be fair, as well, obviously, you're quite active on social media. Well, you are. I mean, you always respond to anything I put on there. But I'm wondering, you know, do you limit your use of social media before a fight? Do you do you understand what it does to you mentally, like mental health, mental fitness wise? Do you get involved when people start rubbishing you when you're going in on the other on the opponent's Instagram, for instance? And then, or is it just something you just you're above all that shit? Yeah, ne- uh, never, never been one to get into it. Yeah, you know, with Johnny Case, there's a little bit of fun. Fun when it, when it's fun and tasteful, I don't mind it. Mm. Fight week, pretty much as soon as fight week starts, the phone goes away. Good. I'm off it. Yeah, cool. Any, any media that goes up is normally through the social media, uh, sorry, UFC social media guys or, or my mm. own coaches. Mm. But um, but yeah, I uh, I'd see myself just, you know, like you said, be above it. When it's tasteful, me and Johnny Case, we're having a laugh about it. We ended up becoming real good mates after it. 
But, um, you know, some guys get a little bit personal. You can't take it personally and you can't let it affect you because they don't know you personally. Yeah. So oh, you, know, they, you can't really take offense to anything anyone says. And, you know, Kevin Lee was, was talking a fair bit. I ignored it all. Yeah. And after the fight, he was pretty much, he was almost on his knees begging forgiveness, saying, I'm sorry, man, I was just hyping the fight up. Yeah. Like, you know, and then, you know, and that again, that was a good learning curve. Because before the fight, I was like, why does this guy hate me? I've done anything to him. <laughs> yeah. And then after the fight, I was like, all right, so from now on, you understand it. it personally. It's, yeah. It's and and I, haven't, a bit. I haven't, yeah, and I've had other fighters try and, yeah. and uh, it doesn't affect me at all. But I wasn't talking so much about the fighters, but the, the fans who don't know anything, like they just don't, they've probably never stepped in a ring in their life. They've never, they've never, you know, and then next thing you know, they're like the world's greatest fighting commentator saying, you know, oh, this guy doesn't have a ground and pound or this guy isn't a striker or, or this guy's not a true yeah. black belt or, you know, this sort of shit. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so um, again, same wouldn't thing. You, I don't know wouldn't you-, you just love to go, oh, okay, by the way, here's, here's two tickets, come and see me and you can come in the ring with me afterwards and have a bit of a muck around? <laughs> like, yeah, it, yeah, it is frustrating sometimes, and you would like to do that. But at the same time, we're athletes, but we're in the entertainment business as well. It's mm. that's sort of what we signed up for. So you can't get, you can't get upset. You know, we knew what we were in for when we started this, and you, you have to realise, especially the new guys coming into the sport, you can do everything right. I feel like you know, apart from losing a few fights, I've never, I barely even swear. I've only ever sworn on social media. Mm. Never trashed. Never you know, trash talk anyone. Mm. Never done, you know, never put up anything political, mm. anything to do about, you know, all this, you know, gender mm. and sex stuff or anything like that. People still find something to get stuck into you about. Mm. And that's just the nature of it, nature of what we do. Mm. And again, they don't know you personally, so they, so you can't take it personally. Mm. But I, I don't care. When people talk about me, people can say what they want, I don't care. Mm. It's when they talk about my mates or my training partners, mm. then I get I get upset and then I might jump on and, and back them up. Especially when, you know You know the work they're putting in. Yeah, I mean these these guys, you know, not only the work they put in, but you know, they're, they're just trying to feed their families, and mm. you know, and and a lot of these what are these people doing that are that are on there? Mm. They're at home living off their, you know, their doll, or they mm. just working a, a dead end job. You know, you're having a go at these guys for chasing their dreams, and, mm. and it does and, seem uh, to be more. It seems to be more prevalent in boxing than UFC, though. I think I think in boxing, people rubbish the oh, boxes yeah. a lot more than yeah. UFC. There seems to be a I mean, it is brutal. <laughs> it is. It is. Some people are really are brutal, yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. Like I said these the sport. It, the it, sport. It I mean, backwards. I mean, the sport yeah. is brutal. You oh know? yeah, it's yeah, a, for it, sure. Yeah. If you think about what that is, that's that's two guys going in there. That's a death match, but it's getting stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I think I think boxing is even more brutal. Just when it comes to. Mm. You know, UFC. If the ref waves his hands, that's it. There's mm. no more. There's mm. no more mm. damage being taken. Whereas boxing is just, yeah. You know, the guy's been knocked. He's knocked down. Yeah. That would be, that would be the end of the fight. He's knocked down. It should be over. Yeah. But he's allowed to stand up, recover, and then go again. That's that's where the damage is. Yeah, done, I so. watched a couple of couple of great fights over the last couple of weeks where you know in boxing where they're both supremely fit, and because they're super fit, the other guy now doesn't know what's going on. You know, yeah. he's so fit that he's still standing and throwing punches, but he's getting pummeled. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And that, and that comes the, down to the corner. Should, that's the corner's duty then. I mean, fighters, we're stubborn. There's very few fighters that will, mm, will pull the up. pin themselves. Mm, mm. Yeah, there's very few fighters. Mm. And, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, again, fans can't really – you can't comment on it. You don't know what they're feeling. You don't know, you know, they might feel something's really, really wrong. It's not necessarily that they just want out and they don't want it anymore. 
So even in that even in that instance, I think um, you know it's probably sometimes it's it's warranted that they they sort of pulled the pin for sure. Mm. And what sort of what sort of nutrition program are you on? Sort of dietary requirements do you have, or or is there anything you know freaky that will make good podcasting that you can talk about? Oh, um, pretty much everything and anything that's yeah. in the pantry. Is that right? Um, at the moment, yeah. I mean, I eat I eat a lot. I don't necessarily would say I wouldn't necessarily say that I eat bad. Mm. Just it's just a lot of meat, a lot of veggies. Like I said, I, I probably eat like almost almost every meal I, I double up on. So I have two big breakfasts. I go train. Lunch is like a full size would be a full size like dinner meal. We're not and counting probably, calories. Nah, no, no, not at all. And then, but so and and even in, even all my fights apart from the last one, I've sort of take you know we've taken care of that ourselves. Myself, my mm. dad, the other coaches, you know, we've sort of worked out a way that pretty much I just I just reduce how much I'm eating. Because I eat so much, my body's used to it. Mm. As soon as I take away even one meal, the it just falls off. The weight falls off. And I had a fight dietitian on board for the last fight and they couldn't believe the difference. I was actually, so normally fight week, I, I starve myself. I don't eat at all. Mm. And he had me eating two to three like, square meals a day, like proper like meat and veggies. Mm. And I was still losing weight. I was stressing out at the start of the week thinking like, I can't eat this. How was that weight. happening? Just the I different no foods? Idea. Just something It was different. pretty much, it was basically, you know, fish or chicken mm. and avocado, every meal. Ugh. And then he'd add it and then he'd give you, you know, things like peanut butter. That's what's going to keep your energy up. But um, but yeah, I was I was like, oh, you know, early in the week we'll give it a go, and I was kept waking up lighter and lighter, and I thought it just didn't make sense. There's more the more of his food I was eating, the more I was losing. Yeah, and, right. Um, yeah, and and uh, not only that, but the obviously energy levels were, were a lot higher. So um, you know, I didn't have to cut any water weight at all. Mm. I woke up, I woke up on weight about five in the morning, and I went back to bed and had a sleep. Went to weigh in. Didn't have to dehydrate myself, and uh, it's definitely the way I think. Um, Perfect. Definitely point. the way everyone should be doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you so, don't have to be the biggest guy in there at all to, and, to win. I mean, you look at Robbie Whitaker, for example. Yeah, he's probably one of the smaller middleweights, and uh, but he goes in there fresh. Yeah, he goes in there. He, he's he's hundred percent, and and the hits are the hits are hard because there there's no fatigue. Yeah, I mean, when I used to get the lightweight, I'd hit hard for about two minutes, mm. and then and then I'd have nothing. Mm. Just be absolute jelly, and I'd get even I was fighting lighter guys. I'd get rocked easier because my cerebral fluid was so low. You know, I just sort of you know, dehydrated the kidneys and, mm. and had problems with them. I um, dehydrated my lungs. A lot of uh, bron- bronchioles, mm. bronchiole, the air sacs, they you know they are like closed up pretty much because mm. of the lack of moisture. So I had like a bit of a asthma sort of condition for about a month. Yeah, so I had to you know get over that and. Um, yeah, so it wasn't. It's not good at all. Cutting weight. I think if everyone, it's going to be hard. But if everyone get on the same page and just fight at their natural weight, I think we'd see much better fights. Guys would have much more energy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. And so, you got any advice for for young kids who are coming up through the ranks? You know, even like just 10, 11, 12 year olds that are just starting out. You know, and they and they've got aspirations in the future to be UFC. What sort of advice would you give to them? Yeah, I get this question a lot. What I say to them is the first thing for kids that young, the first thing is you got to keep it fun. That's probably more so the, the parents' job than the kids. Mm. But, you know, we, we used to have, we're not, you know, at our gym, we've got kids' classes and and you get some, you know, parents walk in and they're like 10, 11, 12 year olds and they're like, oh, I want to train like fighters and we want to fight. And I'll say, look, we got kids, this is a kids' class. I said, we play games. I said, if you want to, if you want to have your kid train like a fighter, maybe I'll suggest find another gym. 
I said it's important for kids to enjoy it. Even even the kids that do train and they you know and they want to fight, I make them play the games at the end with the other kids, and they end up loving it. You know, they have a good time, they have fun. But if they if they want to train like fighters from the age of twelve, by the time they get to eighteen, when their fights are actually going to count and they're fighting professional, mm. they're going to be burnt out and they're going to be over it. Yeah, right. Um, that happened to me with football. I started when I was seven, and and it was just footy nonstop for nine years. And then by the time I was sixteen, when you know it, it's starting to count now, and that you know that you get mm. scouts looking at you, I was over it. Didn't want to play anymore. Yeah. And so that's one of the big things I I tell kids. And yeah. the other things, just just small things. Surround yourself with people that are on the same journey. You know, if you got friends that are running around the street, invading houses, and you know, which is, it's really big down in Melbourne now. You know, they're gonna they're gonna lead you down the wrong path. You have to surround yourself. You know, try, you know, it doesn't, I'm not saying you have to get rid of your mates that you got now, but try to, you know, if there's other kids at the gym that want to be fighters and they're doing the right thing, try and hang out with them as much as you can. Mm. Find the right coaches for you. There's nothing wrong with thinking you've outgrown the gym and moving on, or you think the gym's not a right fit for you and moving on. You know, you're, you're paying your customer at the end of the day, you're paying money. Yeah. There's, um, you, know, you shouldn't really expect loyalty if you're taking money from someone. If you want them to be loyal and stay with you, sponsor them, let them train for free, you know, otherwise, so people need to find the right fit. You know, there's, there's guys I know, you know, close mates of mine that trained at the wrong gyms and, you know, they were forced to stay there. They weren't allowed to go and cross-train and a lot of natural talent, but just weren't, they weren't at the right gym. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of them ended up stopping fighting and now they're just, you know, just doing doing whatever they're doing now. And what about, if they're still listening, what about the 45-year-old guys and girls? So at the, at the, you know, the other half of their life now, is it too late for them to start doing, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu or, or MMA training? Not at all. I mean, you know, MMA training, it's going to vary from person to person. Obviously, without trying to upset anyone, you know, getting to that age, you're going to start having some aches and pains and, you know, other injuries. So it, it depends on how you feel for MMA. Jiu-jitsu, there's pretty much nothing that's going to limit you with jiu-jitsu. There's, there's you know, there's guys who are double amputees and, and you know, mm. people that are blind that do jiu-jitsu. And do really well. I've, I've saw, you know, there's a blind guy at the Pan Pacific Championships for Jiu Jitsu mm. years ago. He had half the stadium in tears when he was wrestling, but um, he was out there. He's a black belt. Jeez. He's out there competing and, um, you know, just giving it his best go. So there's nothing mm. stopping anyone from doing Jiu Jitsu. Just doing it all by foot. Um, yeah, MMA is different. MMA is different. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to say mm, anyone can just jump in there and do it. Yeah, you got to training. There's nothing wrong with going and do training. We've got, I've got kids that come and train that are. You know, from 10 all up to people that are get probably closing in on 50. Mm. And they train and they love it. We've got big gloves, you know, the shin pads and everything. Obviously, it's, it's yeah. a, lot, a lot tamer than a fight. And those guys, those older people, and uh, they're never going to step in a ring for a real fight ever, but they're, but they're training MMA because it's a mixed martial art and they're learning lots of great skills about, you know, controlled aggression and body movement and placement and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing that's – I think, yeah. I think you know, it's probably the – the best thing, not only for for your fitness, but um, you know, we had a big grading at at, at my jiu jitsu mm. affiliate, uh, the headquarters last night. And there's probably about 300 people there, and just the atmosphere. And you know, when we had like we had people, we had guys who were like 50 over 50 getting black belts last night. And, wow! You know, I mean, we had, um, the yeah. reason I asked you that, Jake, is because there's many of my followers on Instagram, older guys, have just started jiu jitsu, and I can you know I I lose count of how many have started it in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, hindsight's, hindsight's a pretty crap thing. You know, they probably look back and wish they had started younger, but mm. 
you know, if, if you've got that sort of mindset, then today's don't sit there for another five years and then in five years' time say, oh, I should have started five years ago. Yeah. It's always going to be it's always gonna be like that. So you might as well start time. today. Mm. Um, you know, there's things I wish that I had done a long time ago and, you know, I've decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do them now and just jump in and do it. Do you ever just go to any gyms around the country or around the world and don't say who you are and go in there and train? Yeah, I'm, I'm not one to, you know, brag. I've got people, I've got people in my MMA class Who've just worked out who yeah, you they, are? They, yeah, yeah. After after two months, they don't even know. Yeah, right. Um, That's so like funny. I said, I've got that mindset. Like I've, yeah, you know, I'm just just a guy. I'm just Jake. I'm just Jake. Just a guy. Just an Aussie guy. You know, doing what he loves. You know, me. me you know, obviously, it's cool. People like you know, it's cool. People like training with um, the UFC fighter, and it's probably a good marketing tool. But I'd rather show what I can do through my teaching and my techniques through my own performances rather than you know use use that as sort of my branding to get attention, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And so what's next for you, mate? What's on the horizon, uh, short term and then maybe longer term? Uh, short term, very busy at the moment. Um, you know, we're trying to, I mentioned earlier, trying to get, uh, trying to get five acres, get that sort of mm. farm life going. That's, that's one of, that's probably the, on the top of my list of, of things to achieve of my life goals was to get acreage. So, that's that's coming up very shortly. Obviously, gonna you know, obviously want to build a house. Apart from that, just spending time with the baby, mm. still training. You know, I want to you know get the family out for a holiday, which we haven't done for a couple of years. Obviously, having a newborn is a little bit a little yeah. bit hard. Yeah, and then you know, and then but still keep the training up. Hopefully, there's something coming up early next year around February. Mm. Uh, nothing's confirmed yet, but mm. um, it's good. I just I want to keep the ball rolling after the last fight. Mm. I've had a couple of sort of longer layoffs, so. Mm. Next year, I'm just looking to go sort of you know back to back, get three or four fights in. Any big names in there that you're iron off for salivating over that you'd like to step in the ring with, just as a, a life goal? Yeah, uh, go on. I've, I've got a few that I've caught up probably for the last two or three fights. Yeah. So you know, I want I want a legend killer fight. So yeah. I want someone like Diego Sanchez, Carlos Condit, Matt Brown, the guys that are you know awesome. Used to be massive names, are still you know they're, they're still killers. But I think I'm at a stage, and you know they're, they're the kind of gatekeepers now. So yeah. if I can, the day I can beat one of those guys is the day I know I'm ready to make that push to be the best as in the world. As far as I can go to the top, yeah. And um, so um, I feel that at the moment, especially after like I said having the having my daughter, yeah. I feel like the mindset's there. Yeah, the training's there now. You know, we've got really good team down here, and mm. I feel like I just want to really make an impact, make my mark. And is there any scratches that you haven't itched yet, mate? Outside fighting that you want to try and achieve? Just the one, and it's um, pretty much just serving in the defence force. Pretty much ambushed you with that, didn't I? <laughs> you knew I was going to yeah, ask yeah, you yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it was coming, but um, but yeah, that if if I didn't start fighting, that's that's what I would have been doing. Yeah, it's just a bit hard to. Uh, I was obviously, you know looking at full time when I was younger, and mm. it's a bit hard to sort of balance that in a in a, in a time. You, I know yeah. you have a massive amount of fans across the infantry battalions, especially the guys that I talk to that reach out to me and, and talk about you. So there's a lot of people out there and they now have their, their inter- integrated combat centers all around Australia that, um, yeah, Paul I think Kale, one of them is affiliated with um, my head coach. Right. So Paul Kale yeah. helped, helped set it up. You might not, I don't know if you know Paul or not, JJ. I know about Paul. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably one of his biggest fans. I reckon. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, well, um, my, my friend, one of my um, one of my best mates, my friend Mo Sidawi, mm. he actually just got his mm. training certificate off Paul mm. yesterday, mm. I believe. And yeah. now he's a, he's a certified um, right. trainer. Yeah, I mean, obviously UFC is a young man's game, and someone like Paul's not going to step in there. He probably, I mean, if you asked him, he bloody would. But 
he would be incredible for someone like yourself to see things from completely different angles and perspectives. But, um, you know, I, I reckon the infantry battalion guys would, you know, love to have you drop into those ICCs and just train with them from time to time. I think that would be such an amazing thrill. I wish it had been around when I was in the battalions, you know. It's, I, um, I'm, I'm not even involved in it, but I'm so stoked that mm. that the uh, the Defence Force is getting around, you know, mm. the, well, the martial arts now, yeah. especially jiu-jitsu. It's, it's, like you said, it's real. It yeah. is. And yeah. um, obviously, you know, touch wood, no one ever has to sort of use it. Mm. But it's always good to know. And I think it's just, it brings a different sort of culture to the defence force, and you know, jiu-jitsu is just one big brotherhood, and mm. you know, then they might go and find their own, you know, train train other gyms outside of that as well, and mm. they're just it's completely life changing for sure. But um, I, I can't wait to mm. sort of get into the fold, and I'm just trying to get through this this recruitment process, and um, mm. and yeah, we'll be in and be good. Well, let's see, let's see what happens because I know either way you'll be you'll be a big fan of the defence force. They're a big fan of, of you, and perhaps it'll just get to the point where where there'll, there'll just have to be that mutual admiration and you just need to move on and be the best, you know, UFC fighter you can be and hopefully the best in the world at some point. But, you know, you're playing all the right moves, I think, mate. It's been amazing so far watching you go along and, and obviously we've got some shared friends who talk really highly of you as well. Ted Hanlon, you know, from obviously, who speaks very highly of you. So, yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. I should be up there. I'll be up his way in a few weeks' time and going and visiting his, his new little family now. So yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, I want to thank you for being on the Warrior You podcast, mate, and I'm hoping to get down to Melbourne at some stage and catch up with you and hopefully do a bit of training with you. I'd love to do that. It'd be awesome. Yeah, you've always got a place to stay here, mate. Cool. Thanks, Jake. Awesome, dude. Thanks, good, mate. Good Appreciate luck. it. Good luck for February, whatever the announcement is, and we'll be watching with, with interest and come back on any time, man. Thanks, mate. All the best. Appreciate it. What a great guest, huh? Jake Matthews. He's doing really well, and I think he's someone to watch and that uh, Australians can all be really proud of. I've got a really busy couple of weeks coming up. I've got the Echelon Front Muster on the 4th and 5th. I've got the live podcast. I think all all of the tickets for the Live Warrior podcast are gone. So that's, that's coming up on the 6th, and I am interviewing Ryan Hawke, the one and only Ryan Hawke. If you haven't heard the Leading Leaders podcast in the US, um, then go and check it out. And Ryan Hawke's coming on this show before the end of the year. Amazing. All right. See you later, gang. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.